Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to today's episode of the Food Junkies podcast. We are joined by Vinny Tortorich, an American businessman, author, podcaster, and health and fitness expert who promotes the no sugar, no grains, NSNG lifestyle, which is a low carbohydrate way of eating. After moving to Los Angeles, where he became a trainer to the stars, Vinny began a podcast around 2012 called the Angriest Trainer Podcast. It has since been renamed the Fitness Confidential Podcast. He has founded three companies, Pure Vitamin Club, Pure Coffee Club, and NSNG Foods. Vinny has written two books, Monty, a successful children's book, and Fitness Confidential, which tracks his life, including his ultra cycling career, his battle with leukemia, which began in 2007, and contains his fitness advice as well. In 2019, he co-created and starred in his documentary, Fat, a documentary. And in January 2021, he released Fat 2. The documentaries have topped the iTunes U.S. charts for independent films and have been featured highly on other lists. Welcome, Vinny. All right, Vinny. Why are you America's angriest trainer? We have to know the story. Uh, You know, I wish the story was more spectacular than it is, but you know, when I first started doing the internet thing, I didn't know what a podcast was. We we started the podcast. We're talking like almost 10 years now. And, you know, I figured we had to come up with a name and the whole thing. And we were going to call me because I, I had already written a book, but the book wasn't out. And the book, you know, it's like I, in the book, I mentioned that, hey, I'm now your trainer. I'm America's trainer. I'm, I've been working with these Beverly Hill Tootsies all these years. Now I'm your trainer. And um, when I was going to use that for the podcast, I went online and and saw that there was a company, they make like extruded products or something, whatever. And it's called uh, America's Trainers or something. It has nothing to do with fitness. And I went, well, I can't use that. So Serena says, you know, you, my wife says, you're very upset about what's happened to people's, you know, what happened to just people in this country and around the world, you should call yourself America's angriest because you're angry. But I, as you could tell, I'm very jovial. I'm, I'm not an angry guy, right? And it worked out fine for a long time. But then when, when I gained some popularity and I started going on national television shows, the first question was, you don't seem so angry, you know? And I'm like, and I would spend half of my 20 minutes on camera explaining that I'm not really angry. And then they would go back and ask me again. So I just said, I'm, I actually dropped it. So thank you for bringing it up again. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm always happy to poke the bear. <laughs> <laughs> but I can completely understand like that angry feeling that you had when you feel we've all been fooled for so long by the health and food industry. And I mean, we come across this all the time. We work in the field of food addiction and our clients come to us and they had no idea that some of the foods they would be eating could be addictive. And so you've done a lot of research about this. What is the most disturbing thing you've discovered so far from the food industry health field? Well, I don't know. You know, there's so many disturbing things, but the fact that uh, a religious group, you know, started this in the 1860s, you know, um, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist, and they were only doing it. And, and by the way, I don't blame them. They were only doing it for religious reasons. Um, they had a woman, uh, Ellen G. White, who decided she she woke up one morning and said, hey, I, I God came to me in my sleep last night. Now, if that happened today, they would put you in an insane asylum. You know, they would get you on medications. You would be in a hospital. They would be checking your blood pressure. But back in 1860s, if you said God came to you, the person who you told that to would say, really? What did God have to say? Well, God told me not to eat anything with a face. That's what Ellen G. White said. Now, that started modern-day veganism. Of course, they couldn't take hold back then because... There was no exogenous vitamins. So if you actually did go vegan back in those days, you would you would eventually die. 
because it's it's not a complete diet. So that was the beginning of it. But you know, when when the, when our government, meaning the American government, got into it, and they started looking around during the first Great Depression when we were basically farming. That's how that was the the crop. You know, that was everything in America. You know, it's kind of like when we had that depression in two thousand and eight. Remember, the car companies were too big to fail. Remember that? Oh, we can't let Ford fail. Too big. Chevy can't fail. Too big to fail. Well, back in in the last Great Depression, the farm industry was too big to fail. So the government kept propping up wheat and corn and everything else, right? And once they got their hands in that, they were like, wait, we like this. We can we can ship this product around the world. It's stable. It doesn't go bad. We don't have to refrigerate it. Just throw it on a ship. And voila. So the government is in the industry. So and then you have you have lobbyists who are saying, you know, hey, you know, this is heart healthy. That's never been proven ever. You know, you know, look, I'm sitting here drinking coffee. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, my whole childhood, I would hear because I was a coffee drinker since I was four, because they used to give kids coffee, no problem. But I would have doctors along the way, they would say to me, you, you can't drink coffee. And I would say, why? And it was it's bad for you. And I would say, why? And they would say, because it causes hypertension. And I would say, no, it doesn't. Give me another reason. Well, it's not good for your heart. No, nah, that's never been proven. Give me another reason. Right? So when you look at coffee, you'll go, well, how did coffee get a bad rap? Because in fact, now they figured out that coffee is great for you. It's actually the more coffee you drink, the better it is for your heart. So how did it get a bad rap? Well, let's go back to the Seventh-day Adventists, right? C.W. Post, who came up with Post Cereal, just like he was friends with Kellogg's, who, who was also a Seventh-day Adventist, came up with Kellogg's, you know, the cornflake. C.W. Post was trying to figure out a different way to, to get more grains into someone's diet because that's how he made money. And he figured out if you took a grain and you burned it and you, you threw you rolled water, hot water over it, it looks like coffee. So he came up with a product called Postum, right? But in order to sell Postum against the best-selling drink in the world, which is coffee at the time, he went on a campaign. And we see we didn't have Google back then. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have any of this stuff. But what those guys, what those industrialists had were their friends who had newspapers, right? And he went to his friends and said, hey, I need you to run a bunch of stories saying coffee is bad for your health. It'll stunt your growth. It will make, they literally said it will make you dumb. That was one of and these stories kept coming out in the papers. So if you could do that with coffee and make it a bad thing, you could do it with, with meat and grains and everything else. You could just turn everything into a demon. So I didn't mean to go into a diatribe, but that's how it happens. No, absolutely. And and I think, you know, and I've said this to you before on Twitter. I mean, I just think that you're such a great teacher. You should have been a teacher. And then you inform me, actually, you come from a long line of teachers. And I have a teaching degree. Right. <laughs> yes. And and I think that's why it's so important that we get to hear your message because you have such a great way of putting it, you know. And we recently interviewed Belinda Fetke, Gary Fetke's wife, and she helped paint that picture that you were just you know, describing to us Ellen White, Kellogg, Sanitarium Health, you know, and essentially she presented this trifecta of, you know, big food, big pharma, Seventh-day Adventists, and how maybe they didn't all necessarily start out working together, but they certainly all kind of have this similar outcome that they're looking for. And so it just has, they've come together in this unholy trinity almost, right? And but you, you have started in, in, in your movies and that kind of thing, you've started to call out the government and the media and, and, you know, you've worked, you've used the word complicit in how they've behaved and in the decline of Americans health. And can you talk more about this and why the media, why the government, what's their responsibility in the solution? What is the solution? Like, I would love to hear your take on that. Uh, by the way, before you get into that, you mentioned Belinda, who I love yeah. dearly. One night, I, I I I was driving my butt off to get to San Diego to give a speech, and I got there three minutes. Traffic was so bad going from L.A., and I got there with three minutes to spare. They were literally saying they didn't know where I was. I said, "Just introduce me. I'm in, I'm in the building. I'm come running. I'm coming." So I ran up on stage and I gave my talk. And when I was done, I see my good friend Nina Tyshos, and she goes. Uh, let's go grab a drink. So we walked to the bar in this hotel. And she goes, there's a big keto meal outdoors. It was some kind of event. I, I'm, I, I'm never really sure where I am. I just like a wind up doll. And um, so 
uh, Nina and Serena and myself walked outside. And of course, we run right into Belinda and Gary, who were there from from, you know, Tasmania. And there was a it was me, Belinda, Gary, Nina, and we're sitting around this table. And it was just kind of this impromptu get together to eat. And then we noticed that everyone from every other table in this whole room were looking at us going, what are they talking about? Can we go over and break into the company? No one came over to say hi to us because they were scared that we were talking about some deep subject. And I was talking to Gary about rifles or something weird like that, you know, and it's like, but everybody wanted to know what that conversation was. I'm here to tell you it was about nothing. And Gary did tell the story of how he met Belinda when they were kids. And, you know, he had, you know, he kept driving past her and she didn't want to go with him. And yeah, it was just a fun conversation. I, I, I miss those people. I, I wish I could see them again soon. But getting into, you know, complicit, you know, I, I, the government didn't mean, like, the government doesn't care. The government's just a business, right? They, they don't care. When you look at how the government treats everything, and we're going to probably see some of those outcomes right now with this COVID. And, you know, now there's, you know, we had zero vaccines. Now we have two and a third ones coming out. Not, you know, just on and on and on. The government just goes, yeah, 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 whatever you got. You know, you know we'll, whatever is easy, we'll, we'll do. And it was around 1967 or so, and Robert F. Kennedy wanted to, to get elected. You know, he wanted to to do what John F. Kennedy did and become president and what have you. And, you know, in this country, they always have to keep poor people voting. You know, the Democrats use that. I'm not, I don't talk against Democrats or Republicans. I'm just, I'm apolitical. But one of the moves that the Democrats have always used is, hey, let's tell poor people we're going to give them a bunch of free shit so they can vote for us. It, it's a perfect idea. It works, Right. And um, I wish, you know, the other side would use some of that, you know, <laughs> you know, hey, guys, they do this. Why don't you try some of that? You know, but, you know, they said, hey, if we could get more poor people to vote for us, that would be good. Right. So they went down to Mississippi and found poor black African-Americans. And they said, what do you guys want the most? And they said, we can't put food on our tables. We're starving. We, you know, we can't eat. And that's that's horrible. So they went, you know, you know, Kennedy goes back and tells McGovern, hey, we got to figure out how to give these these people free food so that they can vote for us. And by the way, again, I'm not being political. These are facts. You can, this is easily learned, right? Um, it's it, you Go find the history book. So they started the McGovern Committee to figure out how to come up with, and we, we came up with, it was called food stamps, right? This food stamp program. And so people can eat again, but it took them 10 years. The McGovern Committee met for 10 years, 1968 to 1978. Can you imagine, like, if I was trying to start Pure Vitamin Club or Pure Coffee Club or any of my companies, and it took me 10 years, I would go broke. But when you're the government, knock yourself out 10 years. We'll just keep doing this. We don't care, right? So... Within that 10 years, they went, they figured out food stamps pretty fast, but they just kept meeting and they started, you know, food got mixed in and Ansel Keys got his hands in there and everything. And we started off with how do we feed poor black people in Mississippi? And we ended up with, you know, hey, within five years after this committee meets, we're going to somehow have something called a food pyramid. And by the way, it's going to be ass backwards. So complicit. Uh, you know, just bumbling idiots. I'm not really sure, but you might have seen in my first movie, we literally say in the movie, you, you, you see it, you show you know, this guy at the committee says, I'm not really sure we should tell the American people what you guys want to say. We need to study this more. And the whole committee says, you know what? We've missed enough golf. We've missed enough dentists without family. Yeah, this is what we're going with. And there you have it. Yeah, I think you can even see that in the new USDA guidelines, right? There was tons of research that said, okay, we got to reduce sugar, we got to reduce alcohol. Of course, it was ignored. I'm somebody who subscribes to the Google alerts on sugar and food addiction, sugar addiction. So I get the latest articles, but there's so much fake news out there now. And with these 
dietary guidelines, which we think may be partially funded by the food industry, how do we sift through the food confusers and actually take our health into our own hands? You know, that that's the million dollar question. Um, I've been doing this for, you know, on the internet now. Look, look when, when I wrote Fitness Confidential, which was the start of all this for me, I refused to write the word ketogenic in the book. And I wrote that book 11 years ago. It came out one year after I went on, on the and, and did the podcast. I wanted to build up an audience. But when I was writing the book, I refused to put the word ketogenic in it. That, that word was, you know, that was like, you just didn't use it because, you know, and everyone kept saying, you need to put ketogenic in there. And I said, that's like saying, you know, people are going to take that as ketoacidosis. And then I'm going to have that fight. Kind of like America's Angriest Trainer. I don't need any more fights, you know. So that's why I didn't do that what you're doing and people started succeeding and the internet does not like that one bit, by the way, my platforms, you know, I get shadow banned. I get not, you know, I, there was a Wicca, a very robust Wikipedia page on me. One day it was just wiped away on the same day that mine was wiped away. So was Malcolm Kendrick's is wiped away. Same day, same hour, all just wiped away because we're making too much ground. Right. And, I had my attorney call Wikipedia to find out what's going on. And they said, we could not substantiate one fact about Mr. Tortorich. Not one fact. Not that I wrote a book. Not that I did a movie. They couldn't figure, none of that existed according to Wikipedia. We said, we could not substantiate any of this. Crazy, right? So if you're asking me, how do we do it? The answer is, I don't know. I really don't. Can you believe anything you read that comes up as, you know, a fact about food these days, because honestly, I'll probably have like 15 in my account. I read them all and I, I can pretty much, because of my knowledge, know which ones are written by who. But if I didn't have that background knowledge, I mean, it's like they are selling through the news all the time. Uh, Clarissa, Clarissa, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, we, you know, people send me stuff on Twitter and, and, you know, as you guys know, I'm on Twitter all the time. And they'll say, have you read this? Have you read that? I don't even have to read the articles anymore. You know, I can just look and see where the article came from and know what is, whether it's true or not. If it came from Harvard or Minnesota University or, um, <laughs> you know, just a host of, I could go down the list. Um, but there's a bunch of places where you just can't, you just go, okay, you know, <laughs> it, it, you don't even have to read the articles. You just know who put it out and you know it's not true, you know. So why waste your time reading a bunch of, you know, what, what a bunch of heretics are saying? No, it's so true. I spent my four years in high school doing policy debate and a lot of it was on research. And so, and that was before, I mean, we had like, go ask Jeeves. <laughs> you know, we had, our, our search engines were not what Google is today, right? But we had to learn what, how to discern what information would be, you know, reliable and what wasn't because we you know, would be grilled on it by the adults who were judging the competition, but also, you know, by the people we were up against. And, and it, it's just not a skill, I think, that all of us have. And it's certainly not being taught, I, I believe, in schools, right? Or, or I mean, where are people going to learn to critically think if it's not being taught in their homes and it's not being taught in schools? And certainly we're just in, you know, Facebook is news these days, right? And so, um, you know, so so it makes sense that to know what the solution is or how to discern fake news, you know, and even the experts are out there trying to confuse us, whatever, that makes a lot of sense that it's kind of like, mm, we don't really know. We just kind of have to do our research and figure out what works for us, what doesn't work for us. Does it seem too good to be true? That kind of thing. But that being said, you know, what are your thoughts, you know, all, all the experience that you have, not only the research, but also the years of being in the health field, you know, what are your thoughts on things like non-nutritive sweeteners, you know, should they be avoided, even stevia, seed oils, that kind of thing. There's just so much now today about those things, you know, those ingredients, if you will, in our foods, you know, what are your thoughts on those? Um, mostly carcinogen. Um, you know, I, I've been doing this um, since 1981 or so, so uh, 40 years. And I remember when sweeteners, you know, in the 70s, there was only one sweetener. It was basically saccharin. And um, you, both of you women are way too young to even know that. You weren't born in the 70s. But saccharin came in a pink pouch. And that was the thing. 
And by the way, our government took it off the market for a while, and then they said it was completely safe again. And I think they took it off again. You can look it all up. It's, it's all out there. But they were like, "Don't oh, it's horrible. Now it's good for you. And then somewhere in the early 80s, um, I, I'm going to circa 1982, 83, all of a sudden, uh, there was equal. And, you know, they called that the blue packet, the blue packet, you know, and I'm sitting there and I was already onto my game that calories don't mean anything. You know, I was onto that that early because I was doing some research when I was at Tulane. And it was interesting because I started saying back then, these, these fake sweeteners cannot be good. They cannot be good for you. Early on, there was only uh, the Coca-Cola company made a, a product called Tab. And it came in a pink, a pink can because they were marketing to women, because women were the only ones that would diet back in the 70s. But now they took Tab and they put it in a different bottle and a different can. They called it Diet Coke. And, um, you know, they just kept going with that. And, of course, the big problem with diet soft drinks was if you put the saccharin product in it, it tasted very bitter. You would have to sip it very slowly. I remember people saying, oh, you got to get it really ice cold and then put ice in that. And, you know, I was never a soda drinker. So, but I, I tasted them and I went, oh, this tastes like, you know, warmed over ass. You know, it's just horrible. And, you know, I, I would just, I couldn't understand it. But once the equal product came out, I said, no, 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 no. This cannot be good for you because it's too close to sugar. The molecular structure was too close to sugar. It was almost sugar. It was like, if you looked at the molecular structure of that product versus sugar, you know, it was just one little cube off from being sugar. And they were like, but it's only four calories. And I was like, yeah, but sugar is only 16 calories. This is not a calorie game. You know, it's not, you know, stop it. I think I was the only person in the world in 1983, 84, who was yelling about fake sweeteners. And it wasn't until the late 1990s, Oprah had some doctor on her show that said, you know, fake sweeteners, it won't help you. It'll make you fat. It's not good for your health. And, this, and by the way, if you want to go find a stevia tree and extract the green leaf stevia from that tree yourself, you know, that, that oil, okay, that's real stevia. That's not even allowed to be sold in the United States, but no one knows that, right? You can't even get real stevia. So Truvia and all this other crap that you think is stevia. And oh, no, you don't understand. I get the one from Whole Foods and it comes in an eyedropper. And it, no, none of it is real stevia. It's all crap. It really is. And by the way, what are you doing at that point? And by the way, allulose, um, uh, monk fruit, erythritol, all of it. It's a horror show. And I love telling the story. I gave the keynote speech or one of the three keynote speeches at KetoCon before, you know, the year before the pandemic started. So I've lost time now, but I'm there. And um, I walked into the bathroom one day and the urinal was being used. So I kicked open one of the stalls and someone had just exploded in that stall. So I went, oof, I can't go in here. So I kicked open the next stall. And that one looked like a, a Jackson Pollock also. So I kicked open the third stall. There's only three stalls. And that one was painted really well also. So I waited for the urinal. I went, man, three people got sick in here. You know, just, just had explosive diarrhea. I know this sounds horrible for a podcast, but people need to hear this. So, you know, the next day I go back, same bathroom, and it's just the same thing. I went, what, they don't clean this place? So I walked out and went to the other side of the, the place. That bathroom was all goofed up too. And then it hit me. These people are walking up and down these aisles. They're trying the allulose. They're trying the erythritol. They're trying the monk fruit. And when your body gets enough of poison, what does your body do with poison? You either throw it up or you crap it out. Your body's trying to get rid of it as fast as it can. That's a mechanism to get rid of poison. Think about it. You could drink alcohol and get drunk and still be normal. This stuff is worse than alcohol. Your body does not recognize it, right? You smoke a cigarette, you're not going to crap your pants, right? That's a carcinogen, but you're going to still have normal bowel movement. You have too much allulose, good luck. Good luck, right? And I hate to be that gross, but sometimes people need to hear it. Absolutely. And we just had... Um, Dr. Ken Berry on last week, 
um, to interview. And, you know, and he talked a lot about the, it, it almost being, you know, that there can be an addiction to that taste, even just the sweet taste. And so that, you know, it keeps people hooked. So even though they're having these negative or adverse side effects, they're still going back for more because their brain is seeking that, right. They want to scratch that itch for sure. So what about, what about seed oils? There's a lot of debate about seed oils and you guys even talked about it in both of the documentaries, especially with Nina Teichel's. So yeah. Talk to us about seed oils. Good, bad. Yeah, Stay away from oils, them. Yeah. They're just an abomination. Seed oils grew out of, look, there was a time in this country where people, you know, cooked with beef tallow, with lard, real lard, uh, butter, you know, what have you, uh, olive oil. But, you know, when you, when you're growing that much grain, growing that much corn, you got to do something with it, right? It's almost a free product. That's what people don't understand. It's almost free. And you could turn this stuff into a petroleum. <laughs> now, you would think that they would just turn it into a biodiesel and we can all just drive diesel cars. But, you know, then Ms. Greta Thunberg would say, how dare you or something. I don't know. So uh, it's, it's this crazy thing, right? And so it's like, well, we have all the seed oil and, you know, Mazzola. you know, they had the Indian dancing around. I mean, now that would be considered racist, right? To have the Mazzola Indian, Mazzola, and they're dancing around this, <laughs> this Mazzola, you know, corn oil. Yeah. But, you know, oh, the Indians love it. No, they don't. Indians never ate that crap. <laughs> they just didn't. They, they didn't have the mechanism to make it, right? All they did was ground up some corn and turned it into a paste, try to keep themselves alive until they caught another deer. Yeah. But, you know, we turn it into, hey, the Indians use this stuff. No, they never did. Because it's a chemical process. There's nothing healthy about it. I don't know if you've had her on the show, but I love her to death. Uh, Kate Shanahan has written whole books about seed oils. You need to get her. Um, Tell her I sent you. I was talking to Vinny and he sent you. So you talk a lot and you uh, you basically advocate for the platform of NSNG. So can you tell your audience or our audience why you believe eating this way is so important? And you've I've also heard you say it's not black or white and that there can be a gray area. So what does that mean for our listeners? Yeah, you, look, there are some people who are metabolically broken. And if you're completely metabolically broken, you know who you are. You weigh, if you're a woman, you're plus 300 pounds or up to 600. If you're a guy, you're plus 300 up to maybe the same weight, six, 700 pounds. I, I deal with these people every day, but there's not just about their weight. They also have insulin resistance. They, they have uh, type two diabetes. They have fatty liver disease. They have heart disease. They have sleep apnea. They're metabolically broken. For those people, that the NSNG for your audience is, is my brand. Not, I actually own the trademark on, on those four letters in that order. And what does it stand for? No sugars, no grains. So if you're metabolically broken and you came to me, I'm, I'm going to have you on, on a complete keto diet. You know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to slam the door shut on sugar. You're going to be eating real food. You're going to eat real meat. You're going to eat high fat dairy. Uh, you're going to eat good oils like olive oil and avocado oil and butter. You know, you're going to eat, you, you're going to be on a very low carb diet. You know, we have to get you fixed, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say you're the guy who's got, or the woman who's got 30, 40 pounds to lose. You want to lose your baby weight. Not only that, you just want to live a healthy life. In SNG, no sugars, no grains. Now, uh, what that means is you're going to eat meat. You're going to eat fish, pork, turkey. If I don't know why anybody would eat turkey when there's pork. But okay. <laughs> Chicken, eggs. And lots of vegetables, cruciferous if you can, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, asparagus, which is not a cruciferous, um, and on and on and on. You can look up cruciferous and figure it out yourself. I don't know if I mentioned broccoli in there. Brussels sprouts is one. And you're going to eat fruit sparingly, and the fruit you're going to have is low glycemic index fruit, cherries, berries. Did I mention cherries and berries? <laughs> and uh, avocados and an olive are both fruits. So you can have all of those and you can have a bunch of vegetables and you'll notice that not only are you losing weight, but, and you're eating a lot of cheese, you know, you're putting together charcuterie boards, you know, and this kind of thing. And, you know, you just live your life that way. Now you, you'll say to me, okay, wait, then hang on. 
what, I'm never supposed to have pizza? Look, if you have pizza once a month, that's not going to kill you. You can't have cheat days. People go, once a week, I have a cheat day. Well, that's a lot of cheat days. That's, that's 52 of them a year if you have one once a week. Do you, are you that much of a baby? Do you have to have a cheat day once a week? You know, have a cheat meal. Hey, we're having pizza night. Enjoy your pizza and move on, right? Hey, you know, we're having ice cream tonight. Now, if you're having pizza tonight, ice cream the next night, and then it's chocolate night, that's too much, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just using those four letters, no sugars, no grains, and SNG, to you just keep it running in your head. And after I wrote the book, I realized that it wasn't enough. So I, I went, I wrote a 25 or 26 page PDF and um, it's free and it's been downloaded over 300,000 times. And God, if I just charged 10 bucks, I would have $3 million. <laughs> and um, I'm pretty sure I've downloaded it at least twice. <laughs> yeah. You see, I would have $20. Yeah. Um, you. Just from me alone. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, and people keep, you know, my, my accountant keeps going, you need to put a price on it. And I've thought about putting a price on it because sometimes when you put a price on something, even if it's 10 bucks, people, people take want it. it more. Yeah, they want it. Well, they take it more seriously. They'll go, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I paid for it. I might as well read it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've thought about doing that. But then I think about the guy, especially, I thought about doing it this year. And then I said, you know, so some people don't have money right now, you know, with COVID and what have you. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just keep it free for another year, another six months or something until the world writes itself. And then maybe I'll charge, but I don't mind giving it away because it's helped so many people. If you guys mm-hmm. have seen my Twitter and all that, mm-hmm. these people show these before and after pictures and I, I tear up sometimes. It, yeah. it really does get to me. You know, it, it's one of those crazy things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you bring up a really good point, you know, saying, you know, once in a while isn't going to kill you, but certainly once a week, come on, like that's a little too much. And we definitely work with clients where it truly is an addiction. And so even that once a month might be too often, but how do you challenge that denial delusion piece that can show up in people? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you don't say, are you a baby to your clients, but maybe you do, maybe they sign up for that kind of coaching. I mean, people certainly sign up with uh, Christy code red nickel, and she's pretty like, you know, blunt with people. Is that, I mean, is that how you challenge those kinds of thoughts or what do you do? I, I never call people babies, but you know, I, I put it in different ways. I'll say, look, you know, you came to me because you're worried about dying. You have two or three kids. You're worried about not being there for your kids. It's time to man up. You know, it's, and, and I get it, man, food addiction. You know, I hate to sound like Dr. Phil here, but you know, unlike drugs, food is, is something that's a dog you have to take for a walk three times a day. You know, it sounds kind of Dr. Philly, but, but it's true. You know, you know, you can live without alcohol and you can live without, you know, crack or crank or whatever they're calling stuff nowadays, but you have to eventually eat food, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're eating it once or twice a day, if you're doing OMAD or doing two, I basically eat twice a day. I eat breakfast, big breakfast, and I eat just a huge chunk of meat every night. And, um, you know, I might snack during the day, like, um, I don't know if you ladies can tell, but I was pumping some iron right before. I was, <laughs> I oh, yeah. Yeah, I figured you could see it. Um, so, um, you know, right after I got done with that, I was like, maybe I'm, I'm a bit peckish, maybe. So I went over to the fridge and Serena left a half an avocado in there. It was only a lunatic wood. And um, so I went, oh, that looks good. And I threw a little salt on it, a little olive oil and had a snack, you know. <laughs> It was a nice high fat snack and I feel great. I, you know, I don't feel like I need anything. And no, I'm not saying you have to eat right after you work out. That's bro science crap. But, you know, I, I ate at six o'clock this morning because I had an early morning doctor's appointment and I worked out until four, like 3.55. I basically threw this on top of a sweaty t-shirt to talk to you guys. And I wanted to have something. Right. Mm-hmm. So while I was doing those last couple of sets of curls, I was I had a spoon and I was eating the, the, the avocado. Hopefully it's not in my teeth. No, you're clean. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, it, you know, it's not an to answer your question, Molly, is is not an easy thing. You know, it, yeah. it it's just not. It, you know, but you have to, you know, you have to 
have kid gloves, but you also have to let people know, look, you're, you're effing killing yourself right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. if, if for alcoholics, we have AA and it's a great support group, right? And there's, there's, there's support groups for people who have eating disorders, but they actually, you know, I know of a couple of those groups and I'm not going to mention them by names. They actually give people a bigger eating disorder. Mm-hmm. They tell them they're bad and, oh, you ate that, you're bad. Mm-hmm. No, you're not a bad person. You're just ignorant to the facts. And my job is to, to make you understand the facts. You know, we talk about me being a teacher and you guys are teachers too. You're teaching people how to do things correctly. And I always go back to them on the phone calls. I, I do phone calls three or four a day. And I'll say to them, they'll go, man, that's kind of rough. And I'll go, listen, you called me because you want to change your life. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to take. I'm thinking the way your liver thinks. Your liver mm-hmm. is a meritocracy. It, it does not care what you think. It doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about anything. Your liver's going to do what your liver's going to do. And that's it. So I'm pretending I'm your liver when I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. So you can make all the deals you want with yourself. Unfortunately, it's not going to pan out. Yeah, no, what you're saying is so true. And especially when you speak to food addiction and individuals who have it, we really have to get them to see, you know, sugar, flour, grains, processed food like drugs. So that that's not something they have control of. That's not something they consume. And it has to be something they're willing to do for the rest of their life. And that's that's big, right? Because everywhere you go, food is like, food is celebration. Food is sadness. Food is, is everything. Food is love. And so it's definitely challenging to get individuals to see that like life needs to be about life, not about food. Clarissa, if I can yeah? just jump in there. You know, I, I have a feeling that both of you do it for a living, right? You talk to people and all for a living. I fortunately, I don't do that for a living. Even though I charge, it's not how I make my living. You know, I have a vitamin company, a coffee company, and now a food company. So I'm very lucky in that I can go with the I don't give a fuck attitude. Are you guys cursing? It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I, I got that attitude because it's like yeah. I don't I, I don't have to try to keep you as a client. As a matter of fact, I'm yeah. hoping I never have to speak to you again. I hope you get it the first time mm-hmm. and you can move on with your life. Yep. Right? Because I'm good. I I'll just go sell vitamins on, on Amazon all day. I'm good. Right. <laughs> I'll go make another movie. I'm good. Yeah. You know. But that's why I can be completely honest with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that candidness actually works for me. And I'm not sure it works for everyone. So please do not go try my method. No, <laughs> no actually, I think you would be surprised. I think Clarissa and I are both like you. We would prefer this not to be the way that we earned a living. We would actually prefer like you that people got it the first time that we could do the education that we could do the support and send them on their way and they would be well and good. And we actually wouldn't have to do this work because it's suffering. It's people suffering. And we would rather have that work the first time than not, but certainly we're always interested to know how other people work with their clients. I'm pretty candid. I mean, Clarissa, I'm pretty sure you are too, which is probably why I like you so much, Vinny. (laughs) I'm easy to like. I I want to ask... I want to ask both of you this question. I want you to answer individually. Do you ever take it kind of home with you? Like when you're dealing with someone, they're they're frustrated and and you're trying to help them and you get frustrated. And then you ever take it home with you? Like when work is over with? I certainly, I mean, it's an emotional burden to carry all of that, but that's why I'm a fitness freak because that's where I get it out, right? So we all have to have outlets. We just have to have healthy outlets. And I also know that I'm just doing the best I can. If they're not doing the work that they need to do, I can't save them. That's not what we do. We're here to encourage and coach and like help and support, but we can't do the work for them, right? And what about you, Miley? Yeah, I mean, in my much younger days, I worked in corrections. So I worked with guys coming out of prison and in a substance abuse facility where we addressed substance abuse and criminal behavior. And I did take it home. And I learned a long time ago that me taking it home and worrying about it was not making them better. And so I'm I'm a lot with Clarissa. I can't work harder than my client. And certainly, you know, there's 
rituals or outlets or whatever that have to happen, whether it be I go in smudge or I go for a walk. I mean, I live in the mountains so I can go play, you know, that kind of thing. But um, is there a client from time to time where I can't get it out of my head? Yeah, there's going to be because it is it's my story as much as it is theirs. I see myself in them, you know, that kind of thing. So at times it will definitely hit home, but I've, I've learned that I've have to, I have to separate my work from, from the work that they need to do for sure. So a little of both. You guys are hardcore stone cold, man. I mean, <laughs> we I, work in addictions though. That's yeah, what addiction that's work is. It's yeah. different than like oh, social man. work, cuddly, you know, oh, let's, let's hug you better. It's like for the, it is life or death for the people yeah. we work with. A hundred percent. Same here, but I still take it home with me a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's weird, you know. It's Serena, you're in a bad mood. It's like I spoke to five people today when you average the weight, they weigh three tons, you know. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's like they all tried to, you know, they they tried everything, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I I I just feel their pain too much, and I think that's why yeah. I, I get on the podcast and I just start yelling sometimes. <laughs> yes, you're angry. See, we can circle back to that. There you go. Here's Mr. Anger right there. I, I'm too passionate. I need to cry. I need to drink more scotch. I think. Yeah. Oh, no. It's the answer. Oh, no. That's also a problem from some of our audience. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, folks, don't drink too much scotch. Yeah, there you go. There, That's a good message. For one thing, it's expensive. Yeah. If for no other reason, the cost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know what I was going to ask you. So you did a film too, Fat too, and obviously you're wearing Fat, the documentary hat. So what information was missing from the first one that you decided you need to put more out there? And by the way, I applaud you for these films. They are amazing. Agreed. They've made it to mainstream media. They're doing super well and it gets the message out. It's why me and Molly wanted to do the podcast so more people could hear the good message. Note to self, next movie, a film too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like that title. You look at me, where did you get that? Yeah. I don't know. I was talking to some woman one day. Can't remember her name. You know, I was trying to come up with the Ruminati's name and uh, <laughs> he called my movie a film too. Film too. And, Fat too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, I'm, I'm doing a film too. When we did Fat One, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I crowdfunded the movie. Yeah. And um, we, got a, we got a quarter of a million dollars to do it. And I decided when I was shooting it, I overshot it, meaning, um, as a matter of fact, when, when everybody was sitting there, everybody from Brett Shear to, to Nina to Gary Taubes, all of them, I was asking them a bunch of questions that were going in one direction. And then I would start asking them a bunch of other questions. And you could see they were kind of doing that thing your dog does when you say their name. What? Like, what? what? And I was like, just answer the question. And I was getting all this information because... I had scripted out where I wanted to go with this movie, not knowing how to make a movie. I knew enough to, you know, have a game plan. Mm-hmm. And my game plan was either I'm going to make a four-hour movie or I can make two 90-minute movies. And that's why I also had the wherewithal. Uh, it was all shot. If you notice, their backgrounds and what they're wearing is all the same, the same. as the first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the only guy that has a different background. Because when I was shooting the first movie, since I had I had a film crew hired, I just threw on a sweater. You know, it was summertime. Put on a sweater and sat against one of the other backgrounds and asked a bunch of questions or sat a bunch of things. So in my mind, I was creating two movies at the same time. Right? You see, I could do that, but I can't remember Peter Ballerstadt. <laughs> um, so I, I I had two movies in my head at the same time. And I never thought I would do the second movie, but COVID hit. You know, when you do, look, I'm I'm not a movie maker. I'm a storyteller. But when you do a movie like Fat, a documentary, you go, okay, boy, I got really lucky. You know, it's the number one movie of all times for uh, Gravitas Ventures. It stayed at number one forever on iTunes and Amazon Prime and, you know, just all these accolades, right? And, and I was like, I can never do another movie because there's no way. No way I can ever do this again. But COVID hit and people were sitting around and I'm sitting around and I'm like, I wonder if I can start editing this movie. And I did. 
And uh, before I knew it, I had another movie and I was on the phone with Gravitas Ventures. And um, here we are again. So yeah, the, the two movies were done at the same time. Mm-hmm. They were just edited a year apart. And here's uh, some information for you. At the end of this coming month, February, or the beginning of March, it could be the end of the first week of March, I will be shooting the third movie. Oh, yes. Whoa, that's yeah. exciting. Um, I don't. We're going to be guests, right? You're going to. Yeah. Um, as a yeah. matter of fact, if you guys can make it down to LA. <laughs> Perfect. Um, here's the thing. With the first movie, I said, if I make my money back, because I put a lot of my own money into it. Sure. Mm-hmm. If I make my money back, I don't mind going into the hole to make the next movie. And I made the money back. And I saw the way it works. So I was pretty comfortable in doing Fatter Documentary 2. Now, that money has to come back. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to put enough money into the third movie to shoot it. You know, all the money comes in editing and sound and, you know, uh, you know picture quality and all that. And then you have to put it out, and that costs a lot of money. But at least I can shoot it. I, I've, it's doing so well that I have the confidence to at least get the film, get my face on film. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And over the course of the year... You know, as the money comes in from movie number two, I'm going to make movie number three and I'm going to put it out, you know, and I wish I could tell you guys the title because the title of this movie, I'm not doing fat three. It's going to be called something else. It's called film three. Film three? Film three. <laughs> Blockbuster title. Film three. The Calissa story. Oh, Find out how a girl from Canada who says the word a boot Make a Larissa story in film three. Oh, I mean, the theater near you. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I came up with this great title. My friend Adam Carolla says sometimes you come up with a title before the movie, and that's usually not a good idea. Uh oh. <laughs> but I knew what the movie was going to be. Like, there's a story that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. That it's to the left. It's like a left turn and then maybe a U-turn back because there's a lot of stuff missing. You know, we're all talking about Ansel Keys and we're all talking about mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventists and we're all think vegans or people with eating disorders. And But <laughs> there's a bigger story there. It's like, and no one's telling the bigger story. And I wanted to tell that story in in the first one, but when you're trying to stuff it all into 90 minutes, mm-hmm. Hell, I did two movies. I couldn't stuff it into three hours. But it's a bigger story. Uh, I was having a, a powwow with uh, Nina last week, and we were on the phone for like 90 minutes, and she was like, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. Oh, my God. Why hasn't anyone done this? Oh, and now I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. And it's this movie will get me blackballed from the Internet. I will be canceled. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward. I've, I've been trying to get canceled for a long time. <laughs> and this will get the whole internet to come out. You know, like all the powers that be, they're going to go, no, screw it. This guy, he's done. Yeah, And then I could go off and live my life. Yeah, Which that's so how funny. you know you've made your mark. Yeah. we Well, and we noticed that, right? Like in the reviews, people either loved it or hated it, right? Fat one, fat two. Um, you know, so what, what is that? What what makes this so polarizing? I mean, you would think we're talking politics, but we're we're not. I mean, what what's going on with that? What's the dogma that's, you know, there's something going on there. Look, um, you know, when I was a kid and Gary Taubes and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, when Gary and I were kids, we we're about the same age. You know, there there used to be a thing. You go to someone's house, you don't talk about religion or politics, right? Mm-hmm. Now, well, food is kind of like religion and politics. You know, people take what they eat very, it's very sacred. My great-grandmother from the old country makes this dish. <laughs> you know, you know, my mother, when I was a kid and I would smell those those sticky buns, oh my God, you know. That's the name of the new movie, Sticky Buns. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we noticed in Fat 2 that Georgia Edie and Drew Pinsky, they briefly touched on that sugar, carbohydrate, food addiction piece. Yeah. You know, and I guess ultimately we kind of want to nail you down a little bit, but, you know, because we know how honest you are, you know, do you believe in food addiction? 
do you think this could be an underlying reason why some of the people that you work with, or maybe, you know, other trainers or in the low carbohydrate world, keto world, why those people are unable to sustain like that lifestyle? You know, I don't know. Have you seen it? Do you believe in it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there is an addiction to food. Uh, I, there's no doubt in my mind. And, you know, some of the studies, the jury's still out, but the fact of the matter remains, I mean, when you eat sugar, your brain lights up almost as, exactly the same as it does when you use cocaine. Mm -hmm. it, it's not the same high, but you, your brain lights up from that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for that. And, and you know, look, I, I, I always use this example. If I gave you, if you're addicted to food and I said, okay, here's, here's a pint of ice cream, right? And you can have a scoop and no one's there to watch, you're going to eat that whole pint, mm -hmm. right? And even if someone is there to watch, you'll eat the correct amount. And as soon as that person's not around anymore, you will mm -hmm. run back to that freezer and hammer the rest of that pint. Yeah. Like I said, the same for, you know, a bag of Doritos. You think of grains as being sugar. You know, once the ghrelin and leptin starts playing on you, you could go through a family bag of Doritos and then start looking for the pint of ice cream after that. Mm -hmm. Now. If you did the same thing with a piece of meat, if I gave you a 16-ounce steak, which is actually one ounce less than a bag of Doritos, a family bag, because I've checked. If I gave you a steak when you're done, if I handed you another sizzling hot steak, you would say, wrap it up. I got to take it home. Mm -hmm. you, you won't be able to eat it. So certain foods will cause your addiction bells to ring, mm -hmm. right? And that would be sugars and grains. Mm -hmm. And they work almost identical to each other. We absolutely agree, a hundred percent. So, where can our listeners find you? And you mentioned you're working on this undisclosed movie title, um, <laughs> Fat Number Something. Fat <laughs> Twelve. I'll be on your. <laughs> you'll come back and you'll talk about it. But so, where can people find you? And what else are you working on right now? Okay, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to go back to LA um, very soon um, to to start shooting Fat Three. So I'm working on that. I'm also building a new studio, and the new studio is going to is I'm going to be in the gym doing my podcast from the gym, and I'm going to go into video podcast more. Ooh. So, and then if I want to get up and demonstrate something, or if Anna's in her kitchen, she's going to be in her kitchen, and we can do the video podcast where people can then go watch what Anna's doing and, and nice. we're going to do more of that kind of stuff. So that's coming up, you know, and, and besides that, you know, the movie, you know, I, you know, I, I'm at purevitaminclub.com, you know, that company takes up a lot of time and purecoffeeclub.com takes a bunch of time. And I don't know if you guys know, but I started NSNG foods, which has a product called ultra fat. Um, I did which, see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm it's taken the world by storm, like right out of the box. And um, we had no idea it was going to be as big as it is, like right from the get go with like, we didn't even advertise and people were just waiting for this product. And um, so we're having trouble keeping it in stock. So that keeps me fairly busy all day long. But that's what I'm doing more video stuff, more movies. Uh, it seems to work for me. And there was a second part to that question. Where can they find you? Oh, vinnytartarich.com um, or vinnytartarich on, on Instagram and vinnytartarich on Twitter and, um, you know, just wherever. Just put in V-I-N-N-I-E, no wimpy Y, and you'll find me. I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> so final question. If you could tell a younger version of yourself, and granted, it sounds like you've been kind of keen to this for a while. So maybe you would have to be a way younger version of yourself, right? As far as like a little guy, you know, what would you tell yourself about sugar and processed foods and their destructive qualities? Like, just what would you say to, and maybe you never got into them, but I mean, what would you say? Uh, that, that's one part of it where I did get into them. Um, because uh, look, you know, even though my, my grandmother knew that, you know, carbohydrates made you fat, right? Mm -hmm. If an old Italian woman knows this, it's common knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So we all knew that. But the one part I would change, and I think about it all the time, you know, as an athlete, and I, I would tell my clients, this is like, look, when you're not, if you're training for an event, you must take in tons of carbohydrates, your body needs to run on carbohydrates when you're moving really hard, and really fast. That's the one part I'm angry about with my career. Because mm -hmm. I would tell people, you want to lose weight, you want to be lean, low carbs, high fat, high, high, high protein, 
if you want to go run a triathlon or a marathon, we need to get you on a carbohydrate regimen. Uh, and I did that for myself too. I was a, an, an ultra athlete for years. And I'm not so sure that that didn't contribute to my own cancer. You know, I had mm. leukemia back in the day. So if I could go back and tell a 20 year old Vinny that you could do all this stuff by eating high fat, man, that, that I think that would have made a difference. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So yeah, just like you, I mean, you fixed yourself, Molly, with with food, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Ovarian? Did you say ovarian cyst or ovarian? Po- yeah, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah man. I mean, it, it's crazy, you know, that you could fix yourself with food. Mm-hmm. But who's telling you that? Nobody. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. No. I was afraid of fat for 20 years. I didn't eat fat, not one stitch of it. I also wasn't obviously using my brain very well, but yeah, I was fat phobic. Everybody was. Uh, Look, I was a bit fat phobic. I used to try to go lower fat and higher protein back in the day. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I was getting that from the bro science of bodybuilders in the seventies. You know, Mm -hmm. if you want to rip out, you know, just eat high protein and, and cut out carbohydrates and keep your fats to a minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And all about the calories, right? When you're trying to rip out, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but look, those guys only look good for one day. Right. You know, yeah. they yeah. they would have to white knuckle it to get all ripped, you know, and, and do all that stuff. And, it, you know, when I was doing that whole modeling thing, I think I put that in, yeah, it was in the first yeah. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes I would cancel, like I would get a job and I would tell my agent, I, I can't, I can't do it. I, you know, I've been... I've been low carb for two weeks. You know, I, I need to, to start eating again. G- give me a couple of weeks. Just take me off the docket. Don't even send me to auditions. You know, mm-hmm. I was living that kind of crazy life back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I, be, because, you know, all the, you know, we didn't have the internet, you know, we didn't have anything. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and this is where I would love to have a second conversation with you about that specific stuff about the, the, um, training and the athleticism. And I mean, cause I think there's a whole nother story there and there's a whole nother side. We do have male clients, but we typically, right. Typically it's the women, like you were saying that are coming to us because, right. Because they want to lose the weight or whatever, right. They're more likely to, to, to step up and say, I need help. But I have worked with some male clients in this field and more and more it's that side of it, right. Where it's been this big athletic thing. And there's been a lot of binge restrict and stuff that you're kind of alluding to. And so if you're willing, I mean, we, at at some point in the future, when, you know, we get down the line, we would love to have you back to talk about that kind of stuff, because I think there's a really important topic there that needs to be addressed. And, and I think you have a a, a special insight to it that we certainly don't. Yeah. Look, I'm available all the time, you know, um, (laughs) just let me know. And, you know, Sometimes people go, man, I can't believe I got you on my podcast. It's like, well, that was, yeah, that was, yeah, me. I was like, that. what am I doing? <laughs> what? You know? what? <laughs> yeah, but you know, look, and this might sound horrible for me to say this, but I don't give a shit. You, you got me. Now, when you go try to get Gary Taubes, he may do it. You know, mm-hmm. like, wait, Vinny did it. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. it. You know, people work that way. Yeah. They just do. Yeah. You know? It's so true. Yeah. So. I don't care that I don't look and see how many numbers or what the, I don't ask any of that. If someone says you want to be on my show, I just do it because you might have one listener who gets something out of it. Yeah. That's exactly how we feel. It was worth every second. If this one person, if we saved one life. Yeah. Worth it. Worth worth an hour, hour and a half of my time. And also if they were having a bad day, they might've got a few laughs. Might have. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> at least on Canada's behalf, you know, <laughs> no, we're all about it. <laughs> You're going to be too afraid to come to Montana now, so, <laughs> which is perfect. That's fine. We, we're full. <laughs> I still, I had just gotten to know Molly and she sent me a video of like a, a deer head or something with like without a warning. And I was like, oh, She's kind of like a barbarian. This is how this I is how like my <laughs> like I, I have friends who hunt, but I don't they they send me selfies, not like here's my dead deer head. Oh yeah, the antelope in the woodpile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> my <laughs> my children go over there and like poke the eyeballs, help boil the heads, you know, whatever. It's fine. Wait, hang on. Let me turn Anne Murray off again. How did, <laughs> how did you guys meet? Uh, we met in Canada at a, I was in training for, to get my certification as a food addiction professional. Right. And Clarissa was um, helping to facilitate the in-person of part course. of the training. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yes. So. And then it was like, I met my best friend. Right. So it was We're just perfect. thousands of miles apart. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. And you, you know, I love that you guys are, you're fun and funny and um, this is great, man. Uh, you know, I want this to work out for you. I want all of it to work out because we need more people pushing this agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like the emotional peace and support that people need around food, right? It's not yeah. just about cutting it out of your food plan. It's like all the times, what are the reasons we go back to the food in the first place? And how yeah. do we deal with those emotions, right? Yeah. I can almost hear Ann Murray singing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ann Murray can play us out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.